following podcast contains coarse language and strong opinions on wine. Seriously, these two have potty mouths and little self-control. Listeners, you've been warned. Live from our basement studios in suburban Chicago, it's another edition of That Wine Pod. I am Pete, and sitting across from me, my co-host, the regent of Rhone, Vino Mike. Hey, 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 what's up, what's up, everybody? So you got the everybody in there. Last episode, since it was a delayed release, had the hello, everybody. (laughs) Kind of missed it. Hey, you know, changing it up a little bit, keeping it fresh week to week. Uh, You know how we do it here. Very off the cuff, very improv, no preparation, no studying, no anything. Just just real wine talk from uh, a couple of two real dudes. Wait a minute. We are we don't plan plan this. I mean, it's so professional and always so on point. (laughs) I can't believe we don't plan. We don't we don't prepare. See how impressive that's so impressive. People are going, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So what do we got in that bottle? All right. Today in that bottle, one of my favorite wine regions, the Rhone Valley we're going to. This is a little Cote de Rhone today, uh, but something kind of special because it is, you know, most Cote de Rhone you're going to be drinking on the market today is probably mostly 2017, 2018 vintage. It's a wine that you typically will consume younger, but I brought a little 2011 uh, Cote de Rhone for us today, Pete, and a great producer that you know, and uh, I've just known for many, many years now that I, I buy these guys every single vintage practically. It comes out, it's so good, and it ages so well. So we're drinking a, a producer called Domaine La Garrigue, and the name of this Cote d'Aron is the Cuvée Romaine, uh, vintage 2011. Wow, that is quite a bit of age. My guess is that tasting notes on this would have stopped the drinking range at 2017, maybe 2018 on an outside range, sure. maybe seven years. Yeah. So we're pushing, you're pushing the boundaries here. Yeah, I think five years from the vintage is a really good rule of thumb for most Cote Um And it does, you know, even basic Cote can sit around for a number of years and, and you know, you get a little bit more complexity. I mean, we're not in Chateauneuf de Pop here, but we're really close by. And we're talking about the same varietals. Like this Cote here is, uh, I believe, about 65% Grenache, uh, 25% more Vedra, and 10% Syrah. So you're going to see a lot of Chateauneuf carry a similar blend to that also. And, uh, you know, Chateauneufs, as we know, these wines age tremendously well. You almost, they're required in a way that, that you, you sit on them and age them so that they can develop and, and show all the wonderful character that comes with bottle aging it. But some of these Cote will, like a little baby Chateauneuf, like it'll give you some, a peek into that for way less money. Yeah, I think this one held up really well. I mean, it's still got a lot of dark coloring you know in the wine it's not bricky or doesn't really show age on that part and still a lot of freshness on the palate some deep deep fruit but a little bit of freshness and i think one of my favorite parts of this wine is the concrete tank mm, yeah. aging versus wood so this doesn't really see any wood I don't versus believe. large barrel and you know it preserves some of that freshness a lot more not as clean and bright as stainless steel tank wood right and you still get a little 
oxygen exchange with concrete, but I think it preserves that a little bit more. And this particular producer, they're they're pretty hands off. I mean, you know, I don't know if they're natural or not. If they're that cool, but they I know they don't filter. Right, this is a non filtered Coterone. It definitely throws some sediment. Um, again, I've I've usually buy anywhere from three to six bottles per vintage of this wine because I know how well it ages and it's so affordable. This is whatever it is, like 15 bucks, 12, 13, $14, $15, let's say. So not a huge investment to buy some quantity and lay down in the cellar. And before you know it, you get a little uh, collection going of it. And, you know, you can sort of check in on these bottles. And I, this might be my last 2011, but I know I've had this prior. And it's been interesting to watch it develop and, you know, kind of loses some of the fruity freshness, but it takes on this more secondary, which I think this wine has some of that meaty quality that you get from the Rhone wines, plenty of like dried herbs and herbs de Provence and all that good stuff, um, you know black pepper you know not too spicy but definitely some pepper in there and uh yeah well the fact that you buy it every year too gives you an opportunity maybe to do a vertical tasting and for people who don't know what that is it's where you have the same wine in different vintages that you would taste side by side so you could see kind of what the evolution is there's going to be vintage variations of course but you also get to kind of see how the wine may evolve by drinking some older vintages too. Super fun to do that. And I have done that with a, with this wine before. And it, it's really cool because you get such a good feel for the vintage. Now, 2011, not a terrible vintage. Um, there really isn't bad vintages in the Rhone. Uh, 02 was notorious for just an unbelievable amount of rain. And, you know, some are hotter, some are more perfect. But I think, like, that's what makes Cote de Rhone and this area in general such an awesome go-to for the everyday wine drinker. Um, for such amazing value because you're it's kind of hard to miss and get a bottle that lets you down yeah the the price point here too right at at 15 bucks and these are older vines we're talking 60 to 90 year old vines yeah that's right forgot to mention that i mean there's some serious quality fruit that goes into into this bottling here yeah all right so what are you drinking this with what's your what's your food pairing what's your go-to on something like this I think I would love like a braised, braised meat, right? Like short rib or osobuco, you know, something hearty, but, but easy and soft and braised or, you know, just a really well done, not cooked well done, but just a really well made <laughs> burger on the grill, you know, medium rare, right? Yeah. But just nice, nice, uh, high quality beef burger, um, you know, a little salad on the side, a regular salad maybe, and a nice little Coterone here. Because even though it's 14.5 and it's a full body, you know, alcohol percentage here is 14.5, um, it's pretty full bodied, but it's, you know, it's soft enough and sort of complex enough to not overpower something like, um, you know, a salad, maybe a steak salad with this too, you know, just a little hanger steak on uh, some greens. Hanger steak. Now you're talking my language yeah, there. <laughs> Love hanger tough to find because there's only that one little cut on the on the cow to get it but it's so delicious mm-hmm. that's right great to throw that on the grill and yeah i i agree i think even i could even see some nice lamb chops off the grill with this for for me too i think would be good yeah a little bit of that fat a little bit of that gaminess yeah it's really pretty yeah rub it down with some herbs smack it up flip it rub it down oh no <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's great. And speaking of food, I think it would be nice to find something like this on a restaurant list. 
This would be a treasure on a list for two reasons. You know, number one, you're not going to be able to go pretty much to a retail store and find 2011 Coteron anywhere. Most retail and a lot of restaurant lists, quite honestly, are more current vintage when it comes to what they have to offer. So to find an older vintage wine on a list, that's a big thumbs up. And, you know, it's Coterone. I mean, I don't know. A standard markup of, you know, for a restaurant list would probably put this right around the upper 30s, low 40s on the higher end. You know, for a bottle of wine at a restaurant, that's pretty inexpensive. Yeah, if I found this for anything $45 or under, Mm -hmm. I'd be really happy with it. And the aromatics on this are unbelievable. It just keeps opening up because we didn't open up that much before we started recording. So, I mean, it's so beautiful. So I could see this evolving throughout the meal and really being fun, or at least the entree, because I'm probably ordering the second because I got to have some bubbles or something first or, you know, you something go. something different, you know, maybe a rosé. A little a little aperitif before uh, for the, the main attraction, if you will. Yeah, but why don't we talk about that? I mean, unless you got any more on this wine. No, I don't think so. Um, It it just kind of dawned on me, though. I've drank many bottles with actually just pasta with, you know, like sausage, Italian sausage and pasta and red sauce and even pizza. I think Cote d'Aron, maybe not this particular bottle, but in general, Cote d'Aron, Grenache blend from Southern Rhone, nice and full bodied, bright, fruit forward, little peppery actually works really well with, with just classic pizza or classic red sauce pastas. It's a really fun pairing. I'll tell you where this would fit for me because a lot of times we order from Lou Malnati's, a Chicago Ooh. legend, a crustless pizza. So it's just a giant sausage patty oh, yeah. for the crust. Mm. And this wine with that. So it's just basically sausage and cheese and whatever other toppings you want to put on. Sometimes we like to put pepperoni on top of that too. But, you know, with the crustless big sausage patty on the bottom, this would be perfect. Yeah, sounds sounds absolutely phenomenal, actually. All right. So we're going to transition back to that question, really, because I... One of the things that I think people have difficulty with is understanding how to navigate a wine list in a restaurant. Right. And you're working in a restaurant. You've worked in restaurants. This this is kind of up your alley. And I definitely want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. All right. So let's hit it. What do you got for us? Why don't we start with where you work now? All right. Well, to remind the listeners, or if it's your first time tuning into that wine pod, thanks for being here. I am currently at a restaurant in the western suburbs of Chicago called Parker's. And they're, you know, the restaurant is very well known for the wine selection that we have. We have a lot of wine offerings by the glass, but a very extensive bottle list. And it's what drew me in originally as a customer to go there. The food is outstanding too, but having a wine list with a lot of depth and diversity and a lot of things to uh, pick from and choose from. And, you know, some older vintages of some wines on there too, that you just can't find anywhere. That's, that's what made this place, you know, kind of stand out for me. And it's, uh, it's been a blast getting, getting to work there and actually have the list to play with and recommend uh, some bottles here and there to, um, to some of the customers coming in. Yeah. And before you start getting in the list, I just want to let the listeners know, This is not a sponsored segment by Parker's or anybody else. As usual, we're neutral when it comes to wines or restaurants. It's just a really good example of a restaurant wine list that Mike's going to know really well. Right. So it's, it's, it's kind of a good marker 
for us to have the discussion on the topic. Right. And we've got a few a few lists to sort of talk about yeah. as we go through the episode today. But and they're not sponsors um, either. And they're not sponsors either. They have no idea where that we're even doing this. And they're right. never gonna they're never gonna know we're doing it, right? Like, you know. Unless one of the seven of you listening is <laughs> is working there now or going there. There we go. So uh, well, let's see. We should maybe dive into the layout of the yeah. list, perhaps. Yeah, let's okay. start with the layout and go from there. Or the different types of layouts. You could start with where Parker's is. And if you want to talk about different ways. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, you know, what I want the listener to think about is a wine list is a wine shop on a piece of paper. Right. And oh. there's there's also different ways you can lay out your wine shop when you go into a store, you know, by region, by grape, by you, you know, Pete, you were at wine styles. You guys did it by, um, by style, style, <laughs> right? Like full bodied, maybe or sweet yeah. or whatever, um, just to use some some. Uh, some general markers there, but, uh, there are lots of different ways to lay it out. And that, that can be a little bit confusing, whether you're walking into a store for the first time or opening up a restaurant's wine list for the first time that you're not familiar with, uh, it could be a little challenging and you got to sort of get your lay of the land, but hopefully for a wine list, it's going to start off with what you might want to consume first. And we were talking about that here just a second ago, like some bubbly, hopefully, right, is leading leading the pack. And so, you know, the way that we're laid out at Parker's is we have a whole page of bubbles. And then within that, it is broken up to like champagne, actual from Champagne, France, and then domestic. And, you know, wine lists in general should hopefully have that broken down to, you know, maybe even um, different countries. Maybe there's an Italy section where you'll find some Prosecco and some Franciacorta. And maybe there's outside of Champagne, there's like France and they'll have some Cremants and some other, some pet nats these days. And, you know, Cremant, by the way, as a side note, phenomenal value. Um, There's seven, I believe seven Cremant regions outside of the region of Champagne um, that make wine... The same way they do in Champagne, like to the same quality standards. So Burgundy, Bordeaux, the Loire Valley, you'll see like Cremant de Bordeaux, Cremant de Loire, Cremant. Whenever you see that, I definitely recommend jumping on it. It's it's a pretty good value overall. And you're getting some, uh, you know, it, it could almost be identical to Champagne in terms of the quality with some of those producers. So it's Cremant de Jura, the Tissot, oh, yeah. for example. Phenomenal. So... um you know, but it depends on on what restaurant you're at, um, how they're how many they have, and how they're going to lay it out. So, but you know, bubbly is a great thing to start the meal off with, and having a fresh bottle of bubbly, uh, ordering off the bottle list versus by the glass, that's a way to for me, like I think you kind of ensure quality and freshness. Um, you know, by the glass is always for me a little bit of a gamble unless it's a super busy restaurant because, you know, if someone didn't order a glass of that particular wine for a day or to, you know, you might get something that's a little bit oxidized or, or a little bit flat, you know? Um, so it, it all just depends. Yeah. I think that's a good tip. And I love that you brought up Cremant. I would also bring up Spain Cava as a really good alternative. And the reason I say it is because I feel I'm not, I don't know Parker's wine list, right. But I feel that it's oftentimes the name brand champagnes that are on a list. And where I find the value is by going outside of champagne. Now, if you love Veuve Clicquot, order it. Nothing wrong with that. 
I just would like to get maybe outside of that box. Yeah. And I'm not typically, unless it's a crazy good wine list, I'm not going to find like grower champagnes in places that I like to go, you know? So mm-hmm. instead of drinking Piper Heidsick, which is delicious, maybe I go to a Cremant de Bordeaux and, and go over there and, and just kind of get a little something different, better bang for the buck. Absolutely. Um, I also think in terms of bubbly, that going half bottle is a good option as well in terms of like starting a meal, whether there's like maybe two or three of you. I think half bottle in general is something you want to avoid, but when it comes to sparkling wine, um, it's some good quality. And we, we can talk about anyway, my opinion on why to avoid half bottles maybe a little bit later in a few minutes. But I think with, with bubbly, it's a, it's a great way to start. I, I mean, why not now? Why not just say how to, why to avoid them now? What, okay. Outside well, of bubbles. I think that half bottles you run the risk, like there's a lot of variation, a huge amount of bottle variation and, you know, wine, it's a living, breathing thing. And it just wasn't meant to be so constricted and put into such a small package. So, you know, saying wine's claustrophobic, (laughs) the wine is claustrophobic. Absolutely. And I can, you know, you can sense its nervousness in that little half bottle, but I can't tell you how many half bottles that I've had over the years where, Maybe it's just a little bit flawed. It just isn't showing the same. Um, I think when it comes to ordering like a prestige red wine or white wine, just you, you just got to go with with the full bottle. Yeah, I, I would agree. And or bigger format. So anything over, I I have found at mm-hmm. least overall anything larger format typically it just it there's more volume, so it has a better chance of aging for longer and and such. Yeah. Yeah. Magnums or double magnums. So there you go. I mean, you know, I think it's really common to go out to dinner with at least a group of four people and that's perfect for a large, a large format magnum of something. Um, so you, you're definitely going to get better quality. Magnums usually are a little more rare. The winery doesn't make as much. I think they take a little bit more control over getting the, the right, you know, the good juice into the magnums and, uh, you know, just, just taking care of those bottles a little bit more. And then it, it does age better. So, And the other thing about champagne in the half bottle is that they can ferment it in the half bottle. All right. So like by law, you know, a champagne producer has to ferment in a half bottle of regular 750 milliliter bottle or a Magnum, a 1.5 liter bottle. Um, Anything else they have to ferment and then transfer into that vessel. So having the product actually fermented in the half bottle makes for me anyway, it makes a big difference. So little, little insider tip. And then I think a pro tip across the board is something that you touched on. Um, Anyway, R2 pro tip, you know, like our, our point of view on this and our opinions on this, um, pro tip, drunk tip. It's all the same. It's, it's, it is all the same, but you know, stay away from the name brands. When you go out, when you go out to a restaurant, out to dinner, just stay away, go and try to find something a little bit different on the list. That's it. The one place where that might be an exception would be if you're with strangers or a business meeting right? Might be a little bit because people want to make sure that somebody recognizes the bottle. If you're ner- if you're a nervous Nelly, go ahead and, and grab bottle of silver Oak at the steakhouse, but no, don't, but, <laughs> That's what but I'm saying. if you want to really impress the people you're with, get outside your, your comfort zone, maybe, or maybe it is your comfort zone to get outside of those wines, right? Yeah. Get them outside of their comfort zone. And it's, it's interesting that you bring that up 
because anytime I'll get, I, I don't, I'll pick on my dad, right? He'll be like, oh, they've got Silver Oak or, oh, they've got Camus. And I'll be like, of course they do. It's a steakhouse. They're, they're going to have those things. It's ubiquitous. It's right. across the board, right? right? And he's like, well, what should I get instead? And he'll send me like a picture of the wine list. Yep. And I'll pick it out, right? And now sometimes, unfortunately, that's all you got is the big name brands. That that does happen. Mm-hmm. So then I'm going to look for the best name brands. Like I'll look for our friends at Hobbs or something, right? To get something a little bit more artisan, a little bit more crafted, right? A little bit more hands-on. And I'm probably skipping ahead for things you were going to bring up, but... No, no, that's okay. It's good to talk about this stuff as it comes up. And yeah. I, I would agree with you on that for sure. Um, but... You know, I just think avoiding the uh, the the big yeah. brand names, generally speaking, is is the right way to go when you're going out. Because we're trying to find um, we're trying to find bottles on a list that you know are give you basically great bang for your buck. Um, you, you you know, I think everyone needs to get over the fact that the wine is more expensive than you can buy it at retail. This is how it works. This is how restaurants, for the most part, make money. It's on the beverages. It's on the cocktails. They're not making a ton of money in the food uh on your plate there's not a whole lot of margin there and um you know you what comes along with that extra money you're paying hopefully is the bottle being served properly in the right stemware at the right temperature um the food that you're going to have with it is prepared um you know it's just high quality and the pairing you know, sometimes that's up to the guest to pair it correctly, but basically you're, you're having this like entire experience. And that's in my mind where I'm willing to like pay that extra money, but it's just so that's why I'm saying avoid the name brand thing because, uh, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to drop the coin to drink something that is just available anywhere, everywhere at any time. I want to find, you know, now look, we're kind of talking about silver Oak for a second. Um, you know, if they have 1999 silver Oak on the menu, different story, right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And just not current. We're we're talking more current or, or more recent, or I, I really like the idea of talking about the bang for the buck because you know that if you go into a store and I'm going to make up pricing, right. But you know that that bottle of silver Oak is going to cost you $75. And on the menu, it's 195 And you're going to look at that and go, well, I can buy it for $75 in the store. Now you go out and you find a bottle of, I don't know, I'm just going to make up Desperata, you know, which is a, a great red blend out of the central coast of California. Yeah. And you see that and it, you know, it's it, your server tells you it's big, it's bold, it's beautiful. And, it, and you maybe pay, let's say, 80 bucks for that on the list. You've saved a bunch of money. Plus, you have no idea what Desperado costs anyway. Right. You've never had it before, right? So you then can, you know, go into a store and you see that, oh, it's $30 and I just paid 80 Fine. Like, that's just kind of the price that, as you're saying, you're going to pay. And the other piece of that is find people who have corkage fees, you know, that yeah. allow you to bring your own wine in then. You can yep. do that too. Yep. Definitely. So. Plenty of people do that. So, well, um, you know wanted to talk about a few different restaurants and a few different layouts of the wine list. So just to, you know, kind of sum up, uh, what, what we do over at Parker's, uh, you know, after the bubbly, we have what's called the diverse whites and within the diverse whites page, it, it, we have like grape varietals listed in the margin or possibly regions like Vouvray, right? Um, it'll say Alsace, um, then it might say Torrantes, you know, so it's kind of, 
relatively easy to sort of navigate your way through that. Um, the I, I'm going to come. I mean, I got to throw in my my consumer part, right? Okay. I think that's confusing. Was that? Well, because some of them are grapes and some of them aren't. Some of them are regions. Some right? of them are regions. So I actually find that quite confusing, right? I would rather that it just says Sauvignon Blanc. It just says Chenin Blanc. Like, and then I don't have to. And then you could have the region next to it or something. And that's my that's my two cents. I find that to be confusing if I don't know what I'm doing. Well, I've got right? a, I've got another list here that that actually does that that we can talk about where it is like grape variety driven, but. You know, for the most part, like when I'm on the floor and people are looking at the list, the questions I hear are, do you have a Sancerre? Do you have a Vouvray? Like this has really happened, right? And so, you know, it's, you can go both ways. Like I I just think there's kind of an equal argument to go both ways, but. You know, that could be restaurant driven. I could see it Parker's having a little bit older and knowledgeable customer base versus a different kind of restaurant that was more geared towards a younger crowd where that that could be more confusing. So or so I guess that's it and they, maybe people are just comfortable asking or they just know what that is. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I mean, I didn't think about the clientele. Maybe it works for that clientele, mm-hmm. right? There's there it's never going to be perfect the layout of the list, right? Correct. And it's always going to someone will be a little bit confused and that's where the uh you know, the manager, the sommelier, the server, you know, the people that work there that that handle the list should be there to help guide and and get to where where you want to go, what you're looking to to do. But right. you know, if you know an, enough about wine and but you're you're trying to find uh you know, some great bang for your buck, um I, I think that, you know, number one, looking for sort of older vintages, not, not super old here, but, you know, we're in 2020, I would say, you know, looking for things around 2015 and earlier that should like stand out. You can almost like, you know, all right, I'm looking for a Cabernet, go to the Cabernet page. Don't look at the producers, scan the vintages first, see if something is in there like 2010. Oh, what's that? And then Oh, it's that producer. Here's the price. Is it in your budget? Things like that. Um, you know, it might be very much worth your while to to get that bottle because again, you're you're looking for something that you're not going to be able to find out at the store. You're not going to be able to do to duplicate it at home. I think that's where the best bang for your buck is, where it's a very unique experience at the restaurant itself. Awesome. Yeah, I think I've gotten us off track three or four times already. So my apologies. We're going to get back to the layout of Parker's. No, this is that type <laughs> of episode. And we shouldn't, We, you know, I I do want to want to bounce around. But, you, you know, for the core part, so going back to Parker's. Okay, so the, the diverse whites. Then we have Chardonnay. That's kind of broken down basic, burgundy and domestic. Um, maybe international is in there too. I, I don't have a copy of the list. I'm not trying to like, you know, yeah. go bottle by bottle and drop a, a whole bunch of names. But just generally speaking, and I think when you go, to a restaurant generally you're going to find a chardonnay page Um, you might find a different page for burgundy you know we just don't you know we can do it all on one you know or two it's kind of like a book how ours is laid out by the way too it's a booklet that has you just turn pages so there's quite a bit to thumb through but um, we do have sauvignon blanc under its own category though and that's called um it the, and Parker's has a little fun too. Like that's called nice acidity, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, there's a few, you know, 
fun names or phrases that go on the top of of each you know the pinot noir says the pinot file and the cabernet page says roll out the red carpet right cab is king so it's kind of fun how it's how how it's uh titled but uh sauvignon blanc says nice acidity right so now you're looking at something crisp and bright and then within the sauvignon blanc you do have you know sancerre um and then domestic you know maybe New Zealand, maybe, maybe that's all together or whatever, but, um, you know, it does separate your like French Sancerre versus your new world or your New Zealand bottles. Um, you know, we've got Rosé, we've got diverse reds then as we get into the reds, uh, Pinot Noir, uh, again, a little burgundy section within that. So, you know, we're at least under the same grape varietal for a few different regions. Um, I believe it's red blends and, uh, of course, Cabernet, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon. So, um, you know, that's, that's the layout that we work with and, you know, it's not as big as the book looks, you know, it's not as long as it looks, but I think it, I think it navigates pretty easy. And I think for the most part too, um, you know, most people turn to Cabernet, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. But in my opinion, the best values and bangs for your buck are on that diverse whites and that diverse reds page. And I think this kind of holds true across a lot of different restaurant lists. So, you know, a couple other pro tips that I wanted to mention in this episode is getting familiar with uh, regions that will offer great quality. And that kind of ties back to the bottle that I brought today. So like Cote de Rhone and the Rhone Valley, um, Gigondas, Vacaras, Cote de Rhone. Of course, there's Chateauneuf-du-Pape, but likely you're going to spend a pretty penny on that. So, And if you want to go that route, that's great. Hopefully you can find something with a little bit of age to it and you're not buying, you know, a 2017 Chateauneuf de Pop for $200 on a restaurant list. I think you're just going to kind of miss, miss out where if you can find something that's 2010 or 09 or 2012, you know, just something with a little bit of age to it. I think it's worth going that route. I would argue that a good restaurant list, a good manage, manager of that list would buy the 2017 Put it away in a temperature controlled space, but not have it on that list. You sure look the 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 restaurant also is going to be able to charge a little bit more, needs to charge a little bit more because they need to sit on these vintages for you. Yes, because they have to buy them when they're available, so they're available to you. But they're it's not like they can go to the distributor and buy that 2010 Chateauneuf. They've got to buy it when it came out and then sit on it for four, five, six years before that they get and get it in your hands. When it's drinking correctly. Right. And if the list is doing that for you, now you should be really willing to pay a little bit more because they've actually stored that wine for you and made it perfect, really, you know, ready to go. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great point. A lot of, a lot of places definitely do that. Um, we'll buy a younger vintage and sit on it. So, um, well said there. Um, so, you know, a couple other restaurants to, to look at. Uh, one very high quality, famous Chicago institution, uh, called Blackbird. It's the first place I ever took my wife on a date. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know what? Me too. I, Seriously. I, I, yeah. How about that? Huh? Yeah. All right. Well, we were serious about, uh, <laughs> about our ladies, you know, taking them pretty there. much. Um, look, I was, it delivers. Though. I was lucky to be out with her. I was just trying to make sure <laughs> she wanted to come back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, great restaurant, um, you know, Chef Paul Cahan and the team there that's been there for over 20 years at this point, probably. Um, I think they have 
you know, great list. And I wanted to use theirs as an example, just to kind of see how they lay it out. So they've got champagne and sparkling under, you know, one category, uh, leading off with a, a, a sparkling Vouvray. And then it goes right into a champagne by Onrio. So it kind of bounces around, bounces back and forth. Um, and uh, I think, you know, in terms of this rust, you know, we'll, we'll skip the champagne part. We kind of already talked about that. You know, you, you ask, ask the sommelier, hopefully if there's a grower producer list, try to get a grower producer um, champagne versus Vouve Clicquot. Um, but, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with drinking Vouve if you're going to do that. It's good quality stuff. But again, it's just ordinary and everywhere. So, but I don't even see that on their list. But uh, the next section we get into is called uh, White Loire and Bordeaux varietals. So um, we probably have uh, Sauvignon Blanc maybe in here or or maybe like Semillon, but you know, it, we, we've got, uh, a lot of Vouvray, uh, white, Vou, white Chenin Blanc from the Loire Valley, uh, Muscadet, uh, there's some Sancerre's, uh, some other Sauvignon Blanc based appellations then. Okay. So we've got Gurgich Hills going to California. They got Gurgich Hills Fumé Blanc on there and, uh, Chapelet Chenin Blanc and the DeLille Cellars, mm. um, Chaleur Estate, white bordeaux blend so that's 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 hot yeah that's kind of where the bordeaux uh bordeaux varietals comes into play otherwise this is mostly white loire but again um going back to the pro tip i was talking about rhone valley loire valley you got to have a couple of these in your back pocket i think the languedoc in the south of france is a treasure trove getting to know a couple of those appellations like corbiere and um the roussillon and minervois um it's just super hard to go wrong and the the value here is tremendous i think in italy like just chianti you know just go in basic chianti like if you're looking to be on a budget out at dinner these are these are going to be the wines that will deliver a lot of bang for the buck and and maybe turn you on to something new as well so uh we've also got at blackbird the next category is alsatian varietals um alsace france uh white rhone varietals um is another category, but so what they're doing here That's is French focused. They're yeah, but they've got some domestic in the mix also, right? Yeah, but they're they're giving you kind of the country of origin and the the region of origin for these grapes that are going to be listed on an American bottle, right? Right, a domestic bottle. So you can now you can start to match up. Oh, okay, I see that Semillon is a Bordeaux variety, a white Bordeaux varietal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it. You know, and it's a, it's a really fun fun list to navigate through. I and I think also do they do the same on the red side? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for the most part, it gets a little bit different on the red, but um, you know, we'll skip there here in uh, in ten seconds. I I just think that mentioning that you know being comfortable within your budget, like maybe have an idea, like all right, I want to spend you know between fifty and eighty dollars. And maybe you ask the server, the sommelier, the manager for some help, have that, you know, help guide them. Be like, you know, I was looking at this, but I wasn't sure. And you can point and that's going to at least give them an idea of like, all right, we're not talking about, you know, three, $400 bottles with this guest. And here's kind of the range. Um, but be willing to go outside that range, whether it's below or above the price, uh, in order to have the experience that you're looking for. I think it's, I think it's important to be comfortable. Like, you know, I want to spend like 50 to 80. Well, if they come out with something for 95, you know, 
I'm not trying to gouge. They're, they're, we're trying to give you the the right experience and maybe get you into a bottle that you're really going to enjoy and be glad that you spent the few extra bucks on. So uh, white burgundy, as you can imagine, um, and domestic Chardonnay. So they do have that divvied up into do, two different sections. Uh, then we get into red burgundy and then a separate section of domestic uh, Pinot Noir. Um, so I'm just, you know, randomly looking at stuff. Here's a 2012, um, Russian river Valley Pinot Noir on the list. Boom. You know, 20, some 2013s on here, Fort Ross, uh, Sonoma coast, Ooh, 2013. That's great stuff, right? 130 bucks. Yeah. You know, not, not the cheapest thing in the world, but you know, you're going to get amazing food with it. It's got that bottle age to it. I mean, Pinot Noir, it's going to go with practically anything you're ordering. Um, so you know, and what I'm doing is I'm, I'm just looking at the vintages here right now, not the producers, right? So then what they do is they put Zinfandel, Syrah, and Grenache under one category. So now we're talking about like higher alcohol, riper, fuller-bodied, spicy type wines. Um, so you got Ridge, Bialy, Bedrock, Klein, um, you know, it, it, and it's all, it's all pretty much domestic here. Um, then it goes into red Loire Valley varietals, which is, is mostly, um, the Loire Valley, you know, there is, uh, they do have a Lake Michigan Shores Cabernet Franc on the list in that section. So that's kind of cool. Uh, then you go into red Bordeaux, which is, looks like all actual Bordeaux, red Bordeaux, and then domestic red Bordeaux varietals. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, you're getting your Merlot in there, um, your, you know, Cabernets, there's Bordeaux blends, all, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, and then we've got Rhone Valley and Southern France. And this is one of the first places that I look, you know, go, going out to a restaurant, Rhone Valley, Southern France, you know, you, er, there's so many good bottles on here and they're all right in that like 50 to $80 range. So, um, really good stuff. And I, I think that's laid out, you know, pretty smart. And yeah, I think it, that's a good one, you know? Um, and then you had one more that you wanted to just bring up. Is there any big differences in how they're laid out? Yeah, there, there's, there is one more to talk about here. This is, um, you know, this is a restaurant called Bargello. Uh, we can link this up in the show notes, but it's just a Psalm, um, who I'm familiar with that, you know, she put out a wine list recently, um, it was the first time writing it. She was looking for some feedback and, and sent it out. And I thought it was interesting. It was laid out pretty cool um, where what she did is, uh, you know, let's just start with white. Um, the first category is called Mediterranean. And then what's the main focus is the grape. So we've got Assyrtico, Sauvignon Blanc, Posip from Croatia, um, a white blend from Slovenia, um, Malagusia and Moscofilaro. And those are, that's what draws the attention versus the producer. Very interesting. Um, when we go to France, we've got Sauvignon Blanc uh, from Touraine, but the, again, it's bolded as Sauvignon Blanc. And then again, under that, it says Sauvignon Blanc, and it's actually Sancerre. Uh, then we've got Semillon Sauvignon Blanc blend, and that's from Bordeaux. So it, it's just a different way to lay it out. Um, just kind of skipping forward here um, into the reds. Um, you know, let's see, France red, Pinot Noir Gamay blend, 
uh, Gamay, which is the Marcel Lapierre uh, Raisin Gaulois, uh, the Gamay uh, from Morgon, um, then gets into Rhone blends, Rhone blends. So, you know, if you're a lot of going over here to Italy, a lot of Nebbiolo, Barbera, Nero Davola, Sangiovese versus the regions. Interesting. Um, so, you know, she made it a little bit easier. I, I mean, think it's, so. it's probably a little younger clientele right. or, or a clientele that may not know what those regions are. So right. that's really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, to wrap it up, why don't we look at what do you, what would you say your top three? We've, you've talked about a lot of pro tips, right? But what are your three, like, how would you go about navigating a list? Well, first of all, uh, you know, when I, over the years going out to dinner with my wife or my family, I was really annoying because I had to look at the entire thing, right? And just, you know, so into wine and I want to look through the whole thing and find the best choices so everyone will be so happy. And so I think, you know, number one, don't overthink it. Um, you know, I'm going to, you know, give a quick glance over um, it, you know, have a little game plan, right? You know, I mean, in, in the scenario where it's just you're getting one bottle of wine for you and someone else that you're out to dinner with, whoever that is, um, you probably want to find something middle of the road that is going to complement whatever you guys are getting for dinner. Um, so you don't want to like, you know, overpower and get a big, bold petite Syrah if you're both not getting steaks or something like that. Um, you know, you Again, you don't need like red wine with meat, white wine with fish here, but like going down the middle with, you know, you can never go wrong with Pinot Noir. I think Zinfandel is, you know, highly overrated for a wine that's really, or underrated, I'm sorry, highly underrated for being very versatile and can go with so many different types of foods. Um, So, but, you know, for the most part, I'm going to go scouring the old world selections. I'm going to go to France and to Italy. Those are my two kind of go-to countries. They're the, you know, the two best countries in Europe, in my opinion. Um, yeah, you've got Spain and you've got, you know, the Riesling hounds and Austria is cool, but really when it comes to just quality selection, diversity, you just can't go wrong with France and Spain. So I'm, I'm kind of going over there and I'm, again, I'm, eyeballing vintages first looking for something maybe a little bit older and then keeping an eye on like my budget my price range um and that's kind of what it comes down to cool i the only thing i would add for me i'm not afraid of the low end if it's something that i don't know i'm afraid of the low end when it's a name if the low end of the list is i'm just gonna i'm gonna pick on josh right josh sellers or something and i'm not gonna overpay for josh right but if it's something that I don't know from France or Italy or Spain, some old world place, I'm I'm I might try that. I think a lot of people are afraid of the cheapest wine on the list. I'm not, yeah. you know, because I'm looking for value anyway a lot of the time. If I'm out with different people, that might be a different subject, but I can tell you the rule of thumb that a lot of people go to is don't buy the cheapest one go with the second cheapest one great saturday night live skit i believe it's snl that oh did did really oh yeah Yeah. definitely got to link that up maybe it's okay i don't i don't know that one but it's called second cheapest wine oh gosh that's funny (laughs) i didn't i didn't even know about that but i think a lot of people do it and it's not always your best place because restaurants know that and they'll just up a couple of dollars on something maybe that shouldn't be there. And I will tell you that I've seen it done that way. And I'm not saying that everybody's out to get you. I'm just saying that use your head a little bit. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. Ask for help. That's, that's and if your server doesn't know, 
ask for the I mean, don't be afraid to ask for the psalm. If they start talking and it sounds like they don't know what they're doing, they I'm going to tell you, they probably don't know what they're doing. Right. Not every server is great. Just the same way as not every wine shop's great. Not every person within a shop is great. We're not great, but we have some experience behind what we're saying. So I would look at that. And I, I happen to like Spain a lot. And then domestically, I'm either looking for something in Washington or going something funky. If they've got Finger Lakes or some weird, you know, Lake Michigan Shores thing, I'm probably ordering it because yeah. I'm super curious about what's going on. So, yeah. And at a place, you know, a place like Blackbird, I mean, they're, you know, they're putting some serious effort into what to bring on and put on the list. So right. it's, it's like building trust with your local wine shop too, you know, building trust with the restaurant. Um and, uh, you know, for the most part, hopefully you can't go wrong. Um, and then asking when you're at a place like that, asking for assistance, ask, saying like, Hey, we're, here's what we're thinking about for food. Here's kind of my budget. What do you recommend? You know, yeah. and, and being a little adventurous and getting out there. All right. Well, that's a lot of good info. Hopefully everybody found that interesting and, and helpful. And if you have questions that were not answered specifically around how to navigate a wine list or how to read it or what to do with it, go ahead and shoot us a note, post on social, comment, however you want to do it. And we're more than happy to to respond or do another episode also maybe on it. Yeah. And right. I would say if you know you're going out somewhere and they've got the list online, hey, shoot us an email. Happy to take a look at it and you know give you a little bit, a couple of pointers perhaps. And that's thatwinepod at Gmail. gmail.com, right? Yep. Perfect. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Life is short. Drink what you like tonight. Thank you for listening to That Wine Pod. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at at That Wine Pod. And we are That Wine Podcast on Facebook. Also, check out Mike on Instagram at Vino Mike. And Pete is at Fat Man Stories. Please subscribe to That Wine Pod on your favorite podcast app and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. The music is Proto Funk by Kevin McLeod. That wine pod is a production of Paragon Media. Mm-hmm.